Chapter Thirty Nine of The Eyes of the World by Harold Bell Wright. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Thirty Nine, The Better Way. Alone on the mountainside, with the man who had awakened the pure passion of her woman heart, Sibyl Andres bent over the unconscious object of her love. She saw his face unshaven, grimy with the dirt of the trail and the sweat of the fight, drawn and thin with the mental torture that had driven him beyond the limit of his physical strength. She saw how his clothing was stained and torn by contact with sharp rocks and thorns and bushes. She saw his hands, the hands that she had watched at their work upon her portrait as she stood among the roses, cut and bruised, caked with blood and dirt, and, seeing these things, she understood. In that brief moment when she had watched Aaron King in the struggle upon the ledge, and knowing that he was fighting for her, had realized her love for him, all that Mrs. Taine had said to her in the studio was swept away. The cruel falsehoods, the heartless misrepresentations, the vile accusations that had caused her to seek the refuge of the mountains and the protection of her childhood friends, were, in the blaze of her awakened passion, burned to ashes. Her cry to the convict, I love him, I love him, was more than an expression of her love. It was a triumphant assertion of her belief in his love for her. It was her answer to the evil-seeing world that could not comprehend their fellowship. As the life within the man forced him slowly toward consciousness, the girl, natural as always, in the full expression of herself, bent over him with tender solicitude. With endearing words she kissed his brow, his hair, his hands. She called his name in tones of affection, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. But when she saw that he was about to awake, she deftly slipped off her jacket and, placing it under his head, drew a little back. He opened his eyes and looked wanderingly up at the dark pines that clothed the mountainsides. His lips moved and she heard her name. Sybil! Sybil! She leaned forward eagerly, her cheeks glowing with color. Yes, Mr. King. Am I dreaming again? he said slowly, gazing at her as though struggling to command his senses. No, Mr. King, she answered cheerily, you are not dreaming. Carefully, as one striving to follow a thread of thought in a bewildering tangle of events, he went over the hours just past. I was up on that peak where you and I ate lunch the day you tried to make me see the Golden State Limited coming down from the pass. Brian Oakley sent me there to watch for buzzards. For a moment he turned away his face, then continued. I saw flashes of light in Fairlands and on Granite Peak. I left a note for Brian and came over the range. I spent one night on the way. I found tracks on the peak. There were two, a man and a woman. I followed them to a ledge of rock at the head of the canyon, he paused. Thus far the thread of his thought was clear. Did someone stop me? Was there, was there a fight? Or is that part of my dream? No, she said softly that is, not part of your dream. And it was James Rutledge who stopped me as I was going to you? Yes. Then where, with quick energy, he sat up and grasped his arm. My God, Sybil, Miss Andres, did I, did I? He could not finish the sentence, but sank back, overcome with emotion. The girl spoke quickly, with a clear, insistent voice that rallied his mind and forced him to command himself. Think, Mr. King, think. 
do you remember nothing more you were struggling your strength was going can't you remember you must you must lifting his face he looked at her was there a rifle shot he asked slowly it seems to me that something in my brain snapped and everything went black was there a rifle shot yes she answered and i did not i did not no you did not kill james rutledge he would have killed you but for the shot that you heard and rutledge is he is dead she answered simply but who briefly she told him the story from the time that she had met mrs taine in the studio until the convict had left her a few minutes before and now she finished rising quickly we must go down to the cabin there is food there you must be nearly starved i will cook supper for you and when you have had a night's sleep we will start home but first he said as he rose to his feet and stood before her i must tell you something i should have told you before but i was waiting until i thought you were ready to hear i wonder if you know i wonder if you are ready to hear now she looked at him frankly in the eyes as she answered yes i know what you want to tell me but don't don't tell me here she shuddered and the man remembering the dead body that lay at the foot of the cliff understood wait she said until we are home and you will come to me when you are ready when you want me to tell you he said yes she answered softly i will go to you when i am ready at the cabin in the gulch the girl hastened to prepare a substantial meal there was no one now to fear that the smoke would be seen later with cedar bows and blankets she made a bed for him on the floor near the fireplace when he would have helped her she forbade him saying that he was her guest and that he must rest to be ready for the homeward trip slowly the day slipped away over the mountain peaks and ridges that shut them in softly the darkness of the night settled down in the rude little hut in the lonely gulch the man and the woman whose lives were flowing together as two converging streams sat by the fire where the night before the convict had told that girl his story very early sibyl insisted that her companion lie down to sleep upon the bed she had made when he protested she answered laughing very well then but you will be obliged to sit up alone and with a good night she retired to her own bed in another corner of the cabin once or twice he spoke to her but when she did not answer he lay down upon his woodland couch and in a few minutes was fast asleep in the dim light of the embers the girl slipped from her bed and stole quietly across the room to the fireplace to lay another stick of wood upon the glowing coals a moment she stood in the ruddy light looking toward the sleeping man then without a sound she stole to his side and kneeling softly touched his forehead with her lips as silently she crept back to her couch all that afternoon brian oakley had been following with trained eyes the faintly marked trail of the man whose dead body was lying now at the foot of the cliff when the darkness came the mountaineer ate a cold supper and under a rude shelter quickly improvised by his skill in woodcraft slept beside the trail near the head of clear creek jack carleton on his way to granite peak rolled in his blanket under the pines somewhere in the night the man who had saved sibyl andres and aaron king 
each for the other, fled like a fearful hunted thing. At daybreak Sybil was up, preparing their breakfast, but so quietly did she move about her homely task that the artist did not awake. When the meal was ready she called him, and he sprang to his feet, declaring that he felt himself a new man. Breakfast over, they set out at once. When they came to the cliff at the head of the gulch, the girl halted and, shrinking back, covered her face with trembling hands, afraid for the first time in her life to set foot upon a mountain trail. Gently her companion led her across the ledge and a little way back from the rim of the gorge on the other side. Five minutes later they heard a shout and saw Brian Oakley coming toward them. Laughing and crying, Sybil ran to meet him, and the mountaineer, who had so many times looked death in the face, afraid and unmoved, wept like a child as he held the girl in his arms. When Sybil and Aaron had related briefly the events that led up to their meeting with the ranger, and he in turn had told them how he had followed the track of the automobile, and finding the hidden supplies had followed the trail of James Rutledge from that point, the officer asked the girl several questions. Then for a little while he was silent, while they, guessing his thoughts, did not interrupt. Finally, he said, Jack is due at Granite Peak sometime about noon. He'll have his horse, and with Sybil riding, we'll make it back down to the head of Clear Creek by dark. You young folks just wait for me here a little. I want to look around below there a bit. As he started toward the gulch, Sybil sprang to her feet and threw herself into his arms. No, no, Brian Oakley, you shall not. You shall not do it. Holding her close, the ranger looked down into her pleading eyes smilingly. And what do you think I am going to do, girlie? You are going down there to pick up the trail of the man who saved Aaron, who saved me. But you shall not do it. I don't care if you are an officer, and he is an escaped convict. I will not let you do anything that might lead to his capture. God bless you, child, answered Brian Oakley, the only escaped convict I know anything about this last year, according to my belief, died somewhere in the mountains. If you don't believe it, look up my official reports on the matter. And you're not going to find which way he went? Listen, Sybil, said the ranger gravely. The disappearance of James Rutledge, prominent as he was, will be heralded from one end of the world to the other. The newspapers will make the most of it. The search is sure to be carried into these hills, for that automobile trip of the night will not go unquestioned, and Sheriff Walters knows too much of my suspicions. In a few days the body will be safely past recognition even should it be discovered through the buzzards but I can't take chances of anything durable being found to identify the man who fell over the cliff. When he returned to them two hours later, he said quietly, It's a mighty good thing I went down. It wasn't a nice job, but I feel better. We can forget it now, with perfect safety. Remember, he charged them impressively, even to Myra Willard and Conrad Lagrange, the story must be only that an unknown man took you, Sybil, from your horse. The man escaped when Aaron found you. We'll let the sheriff or whoever can solve the mystery of that automobile and Jim Rutledge's disappearance. A half mile from Gannett Peak they met Jack Carleton, and by dark, as Brian Oakley had said, were safely down to the head of Clear Creek, having come by routes known to the ranger that were easier and shorter than the roundabout way followed by the convict and the girl. 
It was just past midnight when the three friends parted from young Carleton and crossed the canyon to Sybil's old home. End of chapter 39 Recording by Tom Weiss TomsAudiobooks.com